Have you ever noticed how puzzling it can be that two people can go through the same experience, but end up in different places? Consider two siblings who grow up in the same household, experience some of the same traumas and joys. One ends up strong, the other broken. One ends up embracing God, the other rejecting God. Or consider two men going off to war. They go through the same battles, they experience the same things. One, his character is formed. He draws closer to God. The other, he is broken. He rejects God. Or consider two couples who lose a baby. They face unbearable grief. One draws closer to God. The other rejects God. In Isaiah chapter 8, This is precisely what God is saying about the future events that are on the horizon for God's people. That that experience will strengthen one, but it will break another. It will cause one to embrace God, and it will cause another to reject God. Now last week, as Pastor Tim brought us through chapter 7, we learned that King Ahaz and Judah were threatened by Damascus and Samaria. Damascus being Syria, Samaria being the northern kingdom of Israel. They had aligned themselves together to come against Judah because they asked Judah to participate with them in a coalition against the Assyrians who were a threat. King Ahaz refused. And so... They plotted to attack Judah and set up a puppet king who would join with them against Assyria. But King Ahaz turned to Assyria and made an alliance with them that they would come and help against Damascus and Samaria. Isaiah opposed the king's plan. He said, trust in the Lord. He assured the king that if he would, God would grant him what he wants. God so wants to do that. He said, ask for any sign at all. Any sign and I will give it to you. But Ahaz said, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he refused. And Isaiah said, I will give you then the sign of Emmanuel which means God with us. The sign of the Messiah. Today's text in chapter 8 of Isaiah continues that prophecy. Will you open up now to chapter 8? We're going to read the first four verses. The first ten verses are actually what I would title, God with us. God with us. 
Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Habavashin Baz. Now, this is the name of a son to be born to Isaiah. Just as Sha'abi Hashur was assigned to the king in chapter 7, a son of Isaiah, so this son will be a sign of things to come. We continue reading. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess. Now the prophetess is Isaiah's wife. And he's calling her the prophetess because she is having children whom God is communicating in a prophetic way through. So she is participating in this prophetic process. Isaiah went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Habavashin Baz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. In Emmanuel, from chapter 7, Isaiah prophesies that God will be with his people. It is a promise. Even through the time when they shall be a remnant, which is the name of Isaiah's other son, from chapter 7. Sher Abiha Hashur. Now Isaiah is to have another son who will provide another prophecy. His name means spoil, speed, haste, booty. And before he is able to speak clearly, Damascus and Samaria will fall to Assyria. But while that appears to be good news, it means that Judah will be saved from them. It is not so good. It is not so good because Assyria will not stop with Damascus and Samaria. Assyria will come knocking upon the door of Judah. Read with me now verses 6 through 10. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over resin and the sun of Ramali. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. Then it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching up to the very neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear for all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. 
Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. The prophecy says that Assyria will continue on. And they will come to Judah. And the analogies of a mighty river that overflows its banks and floods the land. And it will come flooding out as they continue their aggression. And it will come into Judah. And it will come right up to their very neck. To the city of Jerusalem. It will threaten the very existence of God's people and threaten God's promise to redeem the world through His people. Understand, the Assyrians were a brutal people. Brutal. And often, they destroyed a people when they conquered them. We know that the northern kingdom was made up of ten tribes of the original Israelites. We speak about them today as the lost tribes of Israel. And why? Because they were conquered by Assyria. And imagine if Assyria is to conquer Judah and eliminate these other two tribes. How will God fulfill His promise to redeem all the world through His people? How will He do such a thing? God will stop Assyria because God keeps His promises. And God is the Sovereign Lord. He will not allow this Messianic promise to be destroyed. What we see in this is not international intrigue, but that the Sovereign Lord of all creation, is sovereign over nations. You know, we sit around today and politics is completely out of control in a lot of ways. Am I right? Many of you feel like that? I'm having a hard time watching the news anymore. And I used to watch it all the time. But here's the thing we should remember. The sovereign Lord is sovereign over all the nations. All of them. Nothing will come to be unless the Lord allows it or the Lord decrees it. And as His people, we should know that. These nations can do nothing unless the Lord, as I said, allows or decrees it. When Assyria threatened the promise of God, God stopped them in their tracks. There are two takeaways that I'd like for us to to get from this. First, that God is sovereign over all things. Nothing happens unless the Lord allows it or decrees it. This is both comforting and it is unsettling. It is comforting because just as Judah faced superior powers in Damascus, and Samaria combined, and in Assyria, we face difficulties and hardships that are beyond our ability to control them. 
that are more powerful than us in life. Those difficulties, though, are not beyond the sovereignty of God. And we should never forget that. In the end, we can trust God to help us through them. We may not be able to dictate what that will look like or how that will be, but we can trust that God will be with us. Emmanuel has come in the person of Jesus. And God will be with his people as he promised. And he will walk with us through any of those experiences as he has promised. The sovereignty of God is also unsettling because it suggests that God, in the least, allows difficult and even tragic circumstances to happen to people even though they may be undeserved. I think of my daughter, my 31-year-old daughter, Carolyn. She lost another friend. This is about the 10th or 11th friend she's lost in 15 years. Motorcycle accident, tragedy. A great guy. And it devastated her. And she said to my wife, it makes you wonder about God. It can. It can. Or it can cause you to turn to God for solace and understanding and help. Two people in the same experience. One finds solace, the other stumbles and is broken. One draws close to God, one rejects God. Here's the second takeaway in this sovereignty of God, that God acts with faithfulness according to his entire character, even as he exercises his sovereignty. This means that God will keep all of his promises, including God with us. God is not capricious or impulsive with his sovereignty. He does not change his mind. There are troubling times ahead for God's people, but God is still with them. Emmanuel is his promise even if it means that they will be the remnant. God will be with you as well. That is his promise to those who trust Jesus. How? How is this so? Well, the waters of Siloah suggests that grace and provision are provided by God alone. The waters of Siloah are the waters of Jerusalem. They are spring-fed, and they are vital 
to the protection of Jerusalem against enemies. Because when the enemies put a city under siege, they could starve them out. They could cause them to give up simply because they have no water. But Jerusalem has this endless supply through two underground pools. The Creator God made it that way for His people. He provided them grace and provision. And in this instance, He says that they have rejected that grace and provision. And that is why God is allowing Assyria to continue on into Judah. What we need to remember is that we should place our trust not in temporal sources, which will ultimately fail, but trust in the sovereign Lord your God. I remember when my daughter was going off to college and she was excited and making plans and I said this to her. I said, there are many things you can build your life upon. I implore you and encourage you to build your life upon that which is eternal and will not change. There are many things in the world that seem exciting and seem right and seem good, but they are like the sands in wind. They shift and move. And I still tell her that. Look to that which is a sure foundation. On that, you can trust. On that, you can build a life. So too for us. Well, here's the second part of this chapter. I call it the fear of the Lord, and it's verses 11 through 22. And we're going to just read verses 11 through 15 first. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with a strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. God instructed Isaiah with a strong hand upon him not to walk in the ways of this people. To instruct Isaiah with a strong hand upon him is to be like my dad who would put his hand on my shoulder while I was sitting down just to make a point. It got my attention, I can tell you. Isaiah felt that strong hand 
And so he was paying attention to the word of God. And that's what God wanted. He wants that of us as well. What does that look like? Well, we read that it looks like resisting popular thinking. Scholars tell us that this reference to conspiracy is actually an accusation of treason by the royal court. They accused Isaiah of treason because he opposed King Ahaz's alliance with the Assyrians. And it is likely that they spread the rumor to the people so the people would not trust Isaiah. I imagine in such a circumstance, it might cause Isaiah or any of us to doubt, perhaps even be willing to make a compromise. Not so black and white. No, it's all in the perception, right? Resist popular thinking. Trust the word of God. The second way of not walking in the ways of these people is to fear the Lord above all else. People do not fear God above all else. Certainly not Judah. They feared the nations. They feared Damascus and Samaria working together against them. And they feared Assyria. But they didn't fear God. If they had if they saw God as more powerful than all the rest, then they would have trusted in God above all else. They would discover the sovereign Lord is a sanctuary rather than a stumbling block. But those who do not fear God find him to be a stumbling block. Verse 14, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Two people, the same experience. One is built up by it. One is broken by it. One embraces God because of it. One rejects God because of it. One walks through the refining fires of trouble and difficulty and find that God is a sanctuary, a security. They can have confidence in God. And there is peace. But another finds those refining fires difficult. They stumble. And the fires consume them and destroy them. Verses 19 through 20 suggest that these people will be in desperation. They will look for answers everywhere but with God. It sounds pretty similar to the world in which we live. People are seeking relief from anxiety, and relief from pain, and relief from an emptiness within. So they go to drugs. They go to shopping. They go to gambling. They go to pornography. 
They go to mindless entertainment. They become addicted by these things because they are looking for something that only God can bring to them. A peace and a filling and a sense of rightness that only being in relationship to God will ever fill. God says that those who stumble and fall and are broken, theirs will be distress and darkness. That's a heavy message. That's a hard message, but let me add this to that message. It doesn't say it here, but it implies it here. This is what I want you to get. It is never too late with Jesus. God with us, Emmanuel, has made it so. It is never too late with Jesus. God will not forsake those who turn to him and receive him. Verses 16 through 18 are the last piece of instruction to Isaiah. We read, bind up this testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Isaiah is instructed to secure God's precious word, placing it in the hands of those who trust God, his disciples. It is to be carried on for future generations, available for the remnant and available to all who will follow. While it does not say that this is how we can faithfully see God exercising his sovereignty throughout history and how God keeps his promise to be God with us, that's precisely what it does do. The word of God gives us concrete truth of how God has acted in history. And if we read it, we will see that God is not only the sovereign Lord of all, but he acts in accordance with all of his character, including he is God with us, not God against us. Amen? In today's society, we don't hear much preaching about the fear of the Lord, and I'm guilty of it. I'm not sure I know how to really preach hellfire and brimstone. I would rather cry and plead with you. I would rather tell you how much God loves you and how sad it makes me to see you suffer and stumble and fall. We want these messages to make us feel good. 
We don't want fear-based messages. But who is it that told us fear is negative? Where did we learn that? I think of one of my kids. She's playing with the stove. She wasn't afraid of fire. She got burnt. She learned about playing with fire. Consider the driver who decides to go down a side street 60 miles an hour. Unafraid and unconcerned. Or the person who jumps in the water over their head but cannot swim. Tragedy and heartache are awaiting such people. Fear can be a good and necessary thing. It is true that there is an unhealthy sense of fear. But that is not the fear of the Lord. As the psalmist wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as Jesus taught, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If we understand the fear of the Lord rightly, then we understand that it is to have a proper respect for God. And when we have a proper respect for God, what that means is that our priorities will line up in the correct ways. Imagine if King Ahaz and the royal court and the people of Judah had feared God more than Damascus and Syria and us Syria. It would have caused them to change their priorities. And instead of considering how they could please themselves and live in that way, or considering how God might please them, they might instead consider how to please God. This is also true of you and me. If we fear God, our priorities will shift from pleasing ourselves and what we think God ought to do to please us, to pleasing God. The problem is that many of us don't have a healthy enough fear. And I can tell you, fear has saved me many, many times in my life. It saved my marriage more than once. I was afraid that I would lose the woman I love. I was afraid that I would lose the children I love. It was like cold water coming in my face, waking me up. Pay attention here, Craig. That is what the fear of God is like. You might be thinking, well, how can I trust somebody I fear? And you're thinking about fear in purely emotional terms. You fear what might hurt you and then likely trust what comforts you. But let me ask you this. How many of you would be willing to walk down a dark alley in Chicago in the night 
with somebody who is big and powerful and strong and savvy and knows how to survive? Or would you rather walk down with somebody who makes you feel okay and after you take a beating, perhaps even not survive, they'll make you feel better about it. Which one do you want to walk down that dark alley with? I could tell you who I want to be with. I want to be with the one who is strong. I want to be with the one who is to be feared, but uses that strength in the right ways. That's precisely what God does. God could blink his eye and we're gone. We're nothing. We're nobody. But that is not God with us. He loves us so much. He loves you so much. And he left his throne in heaven to become a human being, to take on this flesh and this form, and to give his life on a cross, to become a human sacrifice, to pay the debt for sin, so that you and I may be forgiven, forever established in relationship with him, forever being the recipient of his promise, Emmanuel, God with us. That is his promise. The big idea today is really this, my friends. God is either a sanctuary or a stumbling block for you, but he wants to be your sanctuary. Fear the Lord and remember that God is with us. Two people walk through the same experience. It builds one up, it breaks the other down. It causes one to embrace God, it causes another to reject God. One will pass through the refining fires of troubling events and discover that God is a sanctuary. In God there is security and confidence and peace but another will pass through those same refining fires only to stumble, stumble and fall and end up consumed by those very same fires. The truth is, God is the sovereign Lord and he is to be feared above all else. But God is good and God is with us. Emmanuel has been born. He is Jesus and he is the way. He is like the waters of Siloam, bringing grace and peace with God through the provision of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is a sanctuary for all people. The only condition is that you trust him to be God's provision. Jesus is God with us. He's our hope and he's our salvation. And I encourage you to open your hearts and choose him. And if you've never done that before, and the Holy Spirit is stirring your hearts today, then I invite you and encourage you to invite him in. Anybody who wants to talk after the service or pray with me, I'll be over here. And if you're somebody who believed and fell away, well then, turn back to him. He is still God with us. He will be your sanctuary. 
Consider the psalmist's invitation. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being such a good and gracious God. It's hard to hear the word of judgment, but it's good. It's good because it's the truth. And because, Lord, you don't use that truth to hammer us, but you use it to set us free. Help us to see your sovereign nature. Help us, Lord, to receive it and to fear you above all else and to trust you rather than ourselves or anyone else or anything else. And help us to walk with you, Lord, knowing that you are God with us and will keep all of your promises. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.